Hi, welcome to the Ellis Fables podcast. I'm Liv. And I'm Sterling. And we're going to answer one of your questions about writing, our books, or the indie author process. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Ellis Fables or here on Spotify. If you want more writing tips and tricks or information about our latest releases, join our newsletter at ellisfables.com. Today we're going to talk about self-improvement for indie authors. Like going to like a meditation retreat. Um, that sounds like fun, but mostly this is about getting better at your craft. By going on vacation. (laughs) Also a good option. Mental health is important. But because writing is an art form, it takes work to constantly get better at it. Like being a musician who has to practice every day. Hmm. What? (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't sound fun. Well, I think it's been mostly fun for us. Mm. We've done this in a lot of different ways since we first started. We didn't start this when we first started writing together. That was just for fun. But after we decided this was going to be our business, that we were going to publish, Mm. then we started hitting the teach ourselves to do this better books pretty hard. Yep. In the beginning, we watched basically every available Kindle University masterclass. Yeah, they were like interviews with other authors that had been doing well with KDP. Yeah, and we did that pretty religiously once a week. Mm-hmm. When the new one came out, we would sit down or not. A lot of times we weren't together. We would just both be on our computers watching it and sending like talking about it after mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know if they're still doing that to be honest that was during covid so i don't know if that was kind of like a everything that we watched got uploaded to their youtube channel yeah it's so available all, all that stuff i just don't know if they're still producing new content every week i don't know we haven't looked into it in a long time so yeah definitely same. be worth checking out but basically those videos are authors other um Indie authors who have used KDP to become their main source of income discussing what it is that they've learned and sharing their own experiences. And it'll range from, like, what stories they think do well to what sort of metadata they used. I mean, they they will get pretty nitty-gritty in the details, and they, they... There are these just free classes on how to self-publish on Amazon, basically, Mm -hmm. produced by Amazon. And KDP also has videos just literally describing how to do tasks on their platform. Yes, which have been pretty useful in the past. Those are more how-to videos. Yes. So it makes sense that Amazon wants indie authors to do well because they're getting like 30% of all of those sales. Right. Um, so they found people who've done well and got them to basically teach, um, what their method for free on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Definitely something to check out. It really helped us get started in the beginning, especially with the publishing part of our process. Yeah. From that KDP stuff, we actually found our next big source of like, teaching ourselves Mm -hmm. knowledge and that's alessandra torres yes um she was a speaker on kindle university at some point yes 
She's also a very well-established, very successful indie author Mm -hmm. who's also went on to put on, like, a convention for indie authors each year. Yeah. Called InkersCon. Yeah. But she also has free online videos that she'll upload every once in a while through her newsletter. Um, And she has, like, little classes that are like, oh, $15 and you get hour half lesson access to this video that talks specifically about advertising or metadata or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and then she also has inkers kong which is much 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 bigger yes and it's it's also pretty expensive especially in person but if that's out of your budget you can definitely um they have the online we purchased online tickets to inkers con and got all of um their video like lectures speakers from their keynote speakers, and that was pretty cool. Um, also, yeah, her her monthly emails are just really helpful. They all contain tips and tricks of the trade. Mm-hmm. Not always in video format, but often they are. Yeah, and she's also how we found out about things like NetGalley, and mm-hmm. if NetGalley's having a sale or something, she'll put it on her newsletter. So she's like, she's got her fingers on the pulse of indie publishing, like, very closely monitoring it. And, like, I'll admit I'm a little bit lazy about that one. So sometimes I don't even know that that book bub is doing a, 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 a special or a sale. For advertising. For advertising. And you can get your book advertised for half off instead of the normal price. Or um, NetGalley is doing, like, entries for giveaways. Or same thing for, like... Um, Oh, gosh. I should know the name of this company. We use it. Goodreads. Goodreads. Okay. Yeah. But she she's really, really got her hand on the pulse, which means I don't have to. <laughs> also, can I just say that's a great metaphor? Hand on the cl- pulse? For closely monitoring something. Oh, that's a medical thing. Yeah. It's, I like that. I've oh, not okay. heard it before. Oh. oh. Um, so we did that. There's also... We we talked about this in another podcast recently, but we put me through editing school, basically, online. Um, I took a series of editing classes, got a little certificate, but to make, the point was to make, um, make us better editors of our own work, because mm-hmm. we can't outsource that. The class was like $200. Average cost for an editor for a single book is multiple thousands. So this was a much better investment. Mm-hmm. You do, of course, have to be willing and able. <laughs> yes, willing and able. <laughs> it's not it's not the most fun part of the process. But that, I think, did really make us better at edit- editing our own books. Yeah, no, I agree with that. At the same time, I got a bunch of editing books, books on grammar. I really like Woe Is I... I think it's the subtitle is like the Gramophobes Guide to the English Language in Plain English. Mm. Yeah, so that one's nice. They make editing and grammar books specific for various genres. Mm-hmm. I've got one on uh, my desk right now for uh, young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. So if you specifically write only or made mostly in a specific genre, I would go find any books on how to edit that specific genre so you can learn the conventions and um, 
the rules for for your trade in that genre. Mm. And then one thing that has probably taught us the most, even though we don't love it, are our reviews. Mm, yeah. We read them all. <sighs> Every one of them. The nice ones and the not nice ones. Yeah. And from them, over time, you start to get a sort of feel for the patterns of what people like. What Specifically, the people who will read your book. What they like and what they do not like. Mm-hmm. And... That it doesn't mean you have to cater, yeah. It doesn't mean you're catering for them, it's still your art form. But on the other hand of that, we are selling a product, yeah. And you need a product that will sell well. That we learned about um, trigger warnings from our content warnings, yeah. Content warnings, and then also, I think one of the things that is most useful. From these is, it's like a, a, a like a checkup on your pacing. Yeah. Because if your pacing is off, people will tell you. They'll be like, "I am bored." This is so slow. It took so long to get through the first half of the book. Or they'll be like, "Oh my god, I couldn't keep up." <laughs> like, okay, thank you. Now I know that this I've paced this out too slowly or too quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not the one reviewer. No, it's like you're looking for a pattern here. You're looking for a pattern. So if you have 50 reviews and three of them mention that it's slow, it probably is slow. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, oh, well, that's only three out of 50, but it's like, that's a statistic. Yeah, it sure is. Now, if it's one out of 50 or it's one out of 100, then, yeah, that's probably something specific to that reader. Yeah, that's an outlier. But if you've got um, a handful, three, three to five people who are all like, I have feelings about this thing. Take a look at that thing. Mm-hmm. Here are people who, free of charge, will tell you yeah, this that, is that a problem. this is something you need to look at. And that can, again, remember, you're not, you don't have to cater. It can be, if you're getting multiple reviews like we have for Vassal about, like, this, is, this was really rough for me. It's like, okay, we're not going to change the story to make it more happy-go-lucky, but we're going to warn readers ahead of time that this has some triggers. Yeah, it's that's another thing. Um, bad reviews about something specific that you don't want to change in your book, that means you're not advertising that thing. Um, clearly. Clearly. You need to let people know that that aspect of the book is in the book. So the people who are cool with it or want it will pick it up, and those who don't want it won't pick it up. So, so then re- you don't get bad reviews. Yeah, so reviews can definitely also be a checkup on your metadata. Mm-hmm. Your cover, your back of the book, your content warnings. The way you're drawing people in. Yes. So are you misleading them? Are you drawing in the wrong people? Mm-hmm. Um, so the reviews, just reading your own reviews from, not your reviews, reviews of your book can be really helpful even when it can be really painful. Mm-hmm. And you're always welcome to, like, take a few weeks off from it, <laughs> circle back around, especially for your first or second book. It can be painful when you see any of those three or two or one star reviews. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you basically, um, what's it called where, like, you'll send, like, a movie or a, a pre-screening and it's, like, demographics say yeah. that housewives between <laughs> 30 and 50 like to watch Ellen or Oprah 
you know, it's like there's it's it's a demographic screening ahead yeah. of time mm-hmm. of like this is doing well or this isn't doing well, um, and or if people are like repeatedly saying that they freaking hate your characters, is that a good thing? You've made them feel something strong, or is it you've not made characters that are like no one's rooting for them? Yeah, it depends on what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So these this isn't a. <laughs> I have to do this right so that these people will like it. It's not a right or wrong thing at all. This is just a check-in. These are data points that can inform you about decisions you make in the future. Or about decisions you're continuing to make about this book. Because you can change stuff that's published. Yeah, because you're an indie author. Yep. But that being said, like I really like that specific note. This can be about future books. You don't have to change the current book. You can take the data and then move on to the next book. Yeah, one particularly helpful nugget of information for me is that the more books you write, the more books you will sell. (laughs) So if you've learned something from the old books, at some point you're going to have to set it down and go write another one and just write that next one better. Yeah. And you'll you'll publish that one, you will sell copies, you'll get comments back, rinse and repeat. Yeah. Some other great tools to keep yourself sharp, to keep improving. For If we're talking about improving writing specifically, not, not just like your business as an indie author. One of my absolute favorite ways to learn how stories work and to learn new ways to use my story tools or to learn new story tools is by analyzing other people's works. Which can also ruin writing for you. Not writing. Reading. It can. Um, so if you don't want to ruin your own experience, something that I really enjoy doing is listening to analyses that other people have thought up about stuff that I've already read or watched or something like that. Mm-hmm. I have learned a lot about how character dynamics play by watching arcane analyses on YouTube. <laughs> Arcane is a TV show. Yes. I also have favorite uh, favorite speakers who analyze uh, tropes in different TVs, shows, books, um, all, all the ways you can consume a story, basically. Mm-hmm. And then you're also learning how people do things differently from you when you are consuming stories. Mm-hmm. So read, watch shows that interest you learn new ways to portray your characters or new plot twists things like that yeah the reason why i say it can ruin reading for you is that i've being analytical started getting to a point where i'm like if i can do this better i'm not reading i'm not reading it so i was a person who was never a did not finisher like extremely rarely and now i am much more frequently a a do not finisher like i'm like "Mm -mm, nope i could do this better Therefore, it doesn't feel as valuable for me. Um, So I often will put it down. Uh, I also have a hard time with being able to easily predict plot. Yeah. When I say a hard time, I mean I'm really good at it. It's not as fun when you know what's going to happen next. (laughs) Um, So so realize that there there can't be... There are downsides. There are downsides. But if if everything is really predictable, then... That will make your writing better because you can make it more surprising. 
That's true. If you are able to predict, oh, well, if I was reading this, I would think this has happened. And then you can go pause. So let's not make that happen. Let's make something else happen that is reasonable to the plot, but yeah. is startling and surprising and intriguing. If you want to be startling and surprising and intriguing at that point in the time. Right. Which most people should want that. <laughs> I mean, you can't, I mean, I don't know. You might not want to be intriguing in this moment. You want to, you can play with the emotions of your readers all you want. Mm. You are the master manipulator, the puppeteer, which is a great transition because writing excuses is my favorite podcast on writing. And mm. they have a episode, I think it was in the third season, about writing like a puppeteer. And that has been the most transformative piece of anything that I've ever listened to regarding my writing. Mm-hmm. I won't go into tons of details about that. I'm just going to tell you to go listen to it. And I it hope called? it opens up. It's like, it's it's, epis, it's the third season of Writing Excuses, which is Brandon Sanderson's pot, podcast. In the first several seasons, it's him and a few friends of his. As it goes on, they get more and more big names mm-hmm. on writers on the show. This particular one... They're talking to someone who's just won an award for her um, sci-fi debut novel. Mm -hmm. And she is a puppeteer by trade. Like, that's her day job. Like, literally puppets. She literally works with puppets. And she talks about this. She gives this really great lecture on how being a puppeteer has informed her writing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you the cliff notes of this, but... It's about, like, character attention and what details you're showing in your book at any given time. And it really made me, like, it flipped a switch on how I was thinking about my characters and how I was thinking about POV, basically. Mm -hmm. I really love this podcast, so I highly recommend it. Great names, big names in there. Go back to season three and watch that episode, <laughs> if you, even if you want to watch the new stuff. Watch? Listen to the new stuff. Ah. So, that brings up another good way to teach yourself is learn from the masters. Mm. Learn from people who've done really well in your field. Don't listen to everybody on YouTube. <laughs> yep. But, though, I do recommend a few of them. Uh, like Schmidt, his channel about, um, his analysis channel. And his video on how to analyze is absolutely amazing. Mm. So yes, learn from the, the masters, watch writing excuses. There are master classes available. Like, I believe there's one you can get pretty inexpensively. It's like five or six classes with Neil Gaiman. Yeah, I saw that. There was ads, weirdly, on Facebook for that. Yeah, I've, I've thought about taking that for a long time, but I've not done it yet. Mm. So find people who you like and learn from them, but... Here's the caveat with that. Stravinsky said, Stravinsky the composer, he said, great composers steal, lesser composers borrow. And what I've always taken that to mean is if you take something that somebody else has done and it is essentially the same thing or you don't change it any, then it's still theirs. You're just borrowing the idea. But if you take this idea and you change it, you find some way to make it yours, you now own it, then you've stolen it. <laughs> it belongs to you and you're creating something new with it. 
That's not what I took from that. Really? No, what I took from that was like, um, like Beyonce got in a lot of trouble a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago for copying not very famous, but famous in the modern dance world artists choreography and then putting the choreography to her songs for music oh. videos and then she never credited them and then a few people in the modern dance world were like uh this looks a lot like this piece that was done 10 years ago by so and so and so then later Beyonce was like well it was an homage and it was like well you got to kind of say it's an homage before you just straight up take it and put it in your music video for a pop music video um but that's just me <laughs> <laughs> Basically, learn from what other people did, but produce your own work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Whichever way you take Stravinsky. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm not saying to go out and copy, but just learn, use it, and make it yours. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing, good old-fashioned research definitely has its place. Yes, like, as arduous as it is. Yes, especially when it comes to the less fun aspects. Like, like metadata. Metadata, um, advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, what covers fit your genre? What titles fit your genre? What books are doing well in your genre on platforms like Amazon and Apple and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So just knowing what's going on um in your in your genre especially yeah and and that doesn't mean that you change everything but if there is 45 vampire novels out right now brand new then your vampire novel might have a lot of competition or there's just a huge market for it if there's 10 vampire novels out and they're doing well, then, you know, there's less competition and there's probably more of a market for it because people are hungry. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like um, when I was in, I guess, like middle school, Twilight came out mm. and it was a really big deal. And unrelated to whether or not Twilight is a masterpiece, <laughs> um, th correspondingly, a lot of books about vampires came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the market was super saturated, but at the same time, if you really liked vampires, then once you finished with Twilight and that whole situation, you could move on to another book and make sure it wasn't Twilight, but you were still getting that vampire fix. Mm. So that was kind of like good marketing. But two, three, four years later, the market was oversaturated. It was too much. And so we kind of switched over to a new interest, which... I vaguely dystopian. Yeah, dystopian kind of came up then. Was like, yeah. all right, we're done with the vampires. Let's go Hunger Game this. Yeah, Hunger let's Games. go um, Divergent. Divergent. Let's go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that had a really good kick for a hot minute. And then what was after that? I don't remember. I do want to say mutants. Sorry, mutants. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I do want to say that you don't have to write to cater. To trends. No, you don't. There are people who want to read your book, but it is helpful to know what the trend, what's trending in your genre, so that you can, you know, rope people in or using... choose to enter that or choose not to enter that. That's true. You can choose to do it. You can choose not to. But it will inform you about how to make create your cover, what titles catch people who are looking for books in your genre. 
what metadata, what I mean, back of book material or blurbs work. So that's what I would use it for. I would write the book first, write what you want to write and then find where it fits and what other people who wrote similar books are doing to um, rope in their audience. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't have a book already in mind and you're wanting to write a new piece, you can proactively go over and say what's trending right now and Just, either make a decision about whether or not you want to be on the boat or not. That's true. Some people do that. I mean, people definitely do holiday-specific related things. St. Patrick's Day, uh, Halloween, and and try to write in that vibe with the intention of the book coming out around that time. Mm-hmm. Cemetery Boys. Yep. Cemetery Boys came out in September. That's That was very clever. Well, I don't think that was clever. I think that was deliberate. A lot of books come out in September, though. Well. If it's traditionally published... It's probably September. And if it's not, maybe February. <laughs> I think if I was writing a day about Dios, lo, Dios was... Oh my gosh, Spanish. Dios, Dios de los Muertos. I would probably try to publish it well a month before Halloween. Halloween, mm-hmm. So that I could get enough traffic so that it would be popular by the time... Um, Halloween came around. Well, Dios de los Muertos is actually November 2nd, I believe. Um, mm. But yes, that time frame. Yeah, that was smart. It was. It was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are kind of things to, to think about. And it's okay if you don't want to go on the bandwagon. That's totally fine. But you should probably know what the bandwagon is. Yeah. Um, and there are a bunch of different ways that you can improve yourself that are specific to what you do. And we leave you to find those. The trick is just to keep getting better at your work so that you can keep selling more books, keep writing more books, and have a great time doing it. Getting really kind of deep in this. Welcome to the rabbit hole. Mm. <laughs> she says as we sit in a dark closet of our recording studio. <laughs> We've upgraded slightly from a tent. Yes. This is now a closet. That's fancy. <laughs> Back in the closet. Oh my gosh. I know. Don't say that. That's triggering. That's rough. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to wrap up on that happy note. Have a fantastic uh, rest of your month, and we will see you back here for season four. So with that being said, don't forget to follow us at uh, Ellis Fables on Instagram or here on Spotify, and you can always join our newsletter by going to our website at ellisfables.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>